It is uh, January 18th. It is 2015. Our message this morning is about the ordination of Michael Hutchinson. In obedience to a word of prophecy and getting away from whatever that is over there, that hum, uh, I'd like to put Exodus 20:25 on the screen. This is a chance for me to just share something with you very personally. Oh, it's gone. You did it. Nope. Not gone. I, I can preach anywhere, brother. We'll be all right. It's written on my heart. Uh, Exodus 20, 25. If you make an altar of stones for me, do not build it with dress stones. For you will defile it if you use a tool on it. LCMF was started with a unique vision. And part of the unique vision was when we got here, um, frankly, like most people God calls, we felt completely inadequate, overrun with fear, and saw an impossible task before us. In fact, I think it would be safe to say that I would not have been my own choice for this task. I could go ahead and get out there and say the least impressive part of our ministry is me. And and that's, that's a good thing. Because... What I found out is that if you, if you let the Lord draw people to you and you don't work to make them somebody they're not, instead, you look to see the ways in which the Holy Ghost moves through them in purity and in power. The Lord is perfectly capable of building something beautiful all in of itself. So at LCMF, we never wanted to turn out cookie-cutter Christians. We, we, we didn't care if they dressed uh, a certain way, if they wore their hair a certain way, uh, if they liked certain kinds of food or didn't. And in honor of that, we're sending Michael to a place where they wear skinny jeans. <laughs> we bought him a t-shirt that hasn't arrived yet that says your skinny jeans nullify your beard. And um, and. All kidding aside, we just had a meeting with the one association. Out of this little congregation, about every five years, we seem to turn out a couple of fivefold ministers. And the way that this happened is the Lord spoke to us and said, basically, take your eyes off the giant picture for a moment and focus on the life that is in front of you. And it's an interesting thing. You don't have to dress like a pastor dresses whatever that means. You don't have to conform to all of the images that people have. You know what you have to do? You have to spend time with your people. And the life that God built inside of you, He will put inside of them. And if you do it well, they become twice the man of God that you ever were. We have seen that in Zeke. We have seen that in Michael. We have seen that in Nicholas Slaughter. We've seen that in Gabriel Mays. We're seeing that in Justin Johnson, the pastors of the One Association. And so we stand before you today fortunate to have had our students surpass us, which is the hope of every good ministry, that their students would surpass them, that they would become peers and then our teachers. This is how this is supposed to work. I am confident today that Michael Hutchinson is ready for the task that is before him. 
The Lord never uses one family alone. He never uses one church alone. Our ministry would not be what it is today if Brazoria County Jail had not given us the opportunity to send our ministers there for training. My heart's desire is that that bless the jail and that it blesses the people and we have no intention of stopping. We have every intention of taking over more jails. It's fun to preach to people who already know their prisoners. Most of the time we're trying to convince suburbanites of what they should already know. They're sinners that need to be set free. What a great place to start. As we look at this, the firstborn nation of God is Israel. There's no way around that. There's been every attempt to replace it. Today we have the followers of a pedophile prophet who hold up a satanic book called the Quran. Our political leaders refer to it as a religion of peace while the whole world can see the fruit on the tree is violence. They want to replace Israel. They want to destroy Israel. But before them, the Mormon church wanted to replace Israel. Before them, the Jehovah's Witness wanted to replace Israel. And any number of Protestant mainline denominations are infected with the thought that they would replace Israel. I'm going to share with you today some things about Israel because you cannot ordain someone without referring to the tradition that has birthed us. We owe a very great debt to that nation. From them, the human ancestry of Christ is traced. Through them, the covenants came. Through them, every apostle that wrote to us that fought for our inclusion in what is their faith came. And I say that because I think the place to start, amen for a good sound man, I think the place to start is probably in the book of Numbers because this is where God taught His nation how to ordain people. Amen? When we refer to these things, we're not referring to ourselves in Israel, but more like a little brother that is trying to live up to their older brother's example. We have been given equal inclusion. We are sharers in their promises. And we seek to walk in their footstep to the extent that they have laid down a pattern for us. So in Numbers 8, starting in verse 1, <coughs> can you all hear me okay? Hallelujah. Are y'all doing all right? Jennifer, did you want to preach this morning? Am I running you over? No. If you don't know, this is my beautiful wife, Jennifer. She's now turning red. That never gets old. I enjoy it every week. It's good to see you, Rodney. Good to see you, Pam. Without these folks, Michael and Jennifer wouldn't be here. And without Michael and Jennifer, we wouldn't have that crazy fireball, Devin. And we wouldn't have Dylan, and we wouldn't have Anna. And all the young ladies would be very disappointed. Are y'all in Numbers 8? I hope it's okay that I talk to you like your family. Even if it's not, it's exactly what I'm going to do, so you might as well adjust to it. Numbers 8, starting verse 1. The Lord said to Moshe, the Lord said to Moses... Speak to Aaron and say to him, when you set up the seven lamps, somebody say seven lamps, they are a light to the area in front of the lampstand. We couldn't say enough good things about those seven lamps. In 1 Samuel 3.3, the lamp of the Lord had not gone out. 
In 1 Samuel 3, 3, it was long after the priests had fallen asleep, long after the priesthood had slid into something less than what they were called to be, but the lamp of God had not gone out. I want to tell you the lamp has not gone out in Israel to this day. As difficult as things may be in the church, the lamp has not gone out in the church. Where God's sevenfold lampstand is, the Spirit of God is. And the seven churches of Revelation were defined by the very fact that there was a lampstand in their presence. In the book of Zechariah, it was a golden menorah with Joshua and Zechariah standing before it, two anointed for the task of rebuilding. I'm sorry, Joshua and his contemporary who built the temple, Zerubbabel. The lampstand is everything. And I would like to point to you that just prior to ordaining someone, God begins to talk about the direction the lampstand has to face. Can I tell you that in church language, we say things like we're going on a men's retreat, right? And who doesn't like that? The women get to go seven times for every time the men get to go on one. You know I'm telling the truth. No? But in reality, men of God do not retreat. The Lord may lead us in a new direction. But we are never going backwards. We can show up and pray for God to move, but the reality is He's moving. You need to pray that you perceive it. We can pray that God will show up in our midst, but the reality is He's in our midst, and we need to pray that we show up in His presence. Because of this, the Scripture is replete with references that teach us things like the Lord is a lamp unto our feet. By the time we reach the book of Revelation... In the 21st chapter, in the 23rd verse, we find out that the city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives its light and the Lamb is its lamp. I want to tell you this may speak of a future event. But more than that, it speaks of the way that we live now. The Hutchinson family will not move according to what their natural eyes see. In a tradition like Samson, they find themselves where their natural eyes may speak to them and lie, but the spiritual eyes that God has given them will not lie. In this sense, it would be better to have your eyes put out and really see than to keep your eyes and be deceived. This may cause you to leave a church that is perfectly healthy, where your friendships are established and strong, where you're completely comfortable and venture into a new direction because you believe God is calling you towards good things. I want to tell you, if you sit in a church today that you're unhappy with, you've waited too long. Church was supposed to be a blessing to you. It was supposed to cause you to grow in your inner man. The fivefold ministry of God was supposed to prepare you for works of service. If you have sat in a church till you resent the people around you, something is wrong with them or with you, and probably both. The way that we're supposed to transition from one church to another is blessing the people who have blessed us and moving on to bless the people where we arrive. John Bevere wrote in one of his books a Western proverb. He said that there was a town in the Old West who put a sign out in front of it. And standing next to the sign, they appointed an ambassador. When people arrived... At the town, they said, your town has no description on its sign. What kind of town is it? And the ambassador would speak to them and say, what kind of town have you come from? 
We've come from a terrible town. The people are mean and backbiting. The mayor is corrupt and its inhabitants are wicked. Our town is very much the same way. You will not like it. You shouldn't come here. The next day, another couple shows up at the sign. They said, your sign has no description for your town. What kind of town is it? The ambassador responded, what kind of town have you come from? A wonderful town. We love the people. It tore our hearts to have to leave there. It was like the city of God, but we've been called forward. He said, you will find exactly that kind of town here. Welcome. I want to encourage you that in many cases, a church is what we have made it. I fully intend that the lamp of the living God will go before the Hutchinsons to a church that is of his planting, to pastors that are as imperfect as this pastor, albeit much better looking and more talented. And he will shine the way for them and they will help make it the same kind of blessing that they've experienced here. Can you say amen to that? Next, Aaron did so. He set up the lamp so that they faced forward. Say face forward. The king has his eyes on what is ahead. That's a good lesson for you that are covered in guilt and shame. The king has his eyes on what is ahead. So that they face forward on the lampstand, just as the Lord commanded Moses, this is how the lampstand was made. It was made of hammered gold and its base from its base to its blossoms. The lampstand was made exactly like the pattern the Lord had shown Moses. Who saw the pattern? Have you ever considered that when you see a menorah, you are seeing a copy of what a man looked into the heavens and saw? That's extraordinary. In fact, when we look at a mature Christian, someone who's been molded by the hands of God, we ought to be looking at a replica of what their pastor looked into the heavens and saw. Because the fivefold ministry's job is to raise up men for their works of service. Can you say that we have watched Michael Hutchinson grow and become a mighty man of God? I have no fear of puffing him up with that because I've watched how the Lord has caused him to carry himself and the spirit in which he walks. I can confidently say that he's become the man that God has called him to be. Even as Moses made a lampstand to guide his church, to guide his assembly in the wilderness, if you prefer, that was made according to the image that he saw in the heavens. Now we move to the actual ordination of the priest. Y'all ready to move on? Have you noticed if you don't talk to me, if I don't hear you speak, I will call you out? That's because I'm nervous and insecure. You can help me, right? Help help a brother out. Pretend we're back in those other... Somebody say amen. Amen. Now you know how to do that. Amen. The Lord said to Moses, Take the Levites from among the other Israelites and make them ceremonially clean. To purify them, do this. Sprinkle the water of cleansing on them. Then have them shave their whole bodies and wash their clothes. And so purify themselves. It's interesting that then and now the building of the representative of God started with the lampstand guiding your way and took you straight to a baptism in water and a baptism in the Spirit. John 6.44 intimates that you can't be saved unless the Spirit of the Father draw you. In the fourth chapter of John, God desires those who worship in spirit 
and in truth. Our worship, our love for Him cannot be intellectual acceptance. It has to begin with His Spirit illuminating a truth to you. Usually, that you are wicked and deserve judgment. If you never have come to the place where you realize you deserve death, you started the race at the wrong point. And if you start at the wrong point, even if you appear to finish, you will not receive the reward. You didn't run the race. You move on from a place of conviction to a place of empowerment. Why did the priest need to be washed? Why did the priest need to be shaved? He needed to be washed because he was dirty. In fact, every bit of the old man had to be scraped away. Oh, how many years did we work on this? I'm working on it yet. In fact, you may see more of the old man than you would like, and I want to agree with you. I do too. But I see something else at work. I see something at work in Michael, something that's at work at me. The living God is making us new. He's putting upon us new vestments. And in those new vestments, we find new empowerment, new identity. We find new purpose and direction. The priest set that example for us. But it was not just with a washing and a clothing. In fact, the clothing had to be accompanied by something. This starts in verse 8. Have them take a young bull with its grain offering, a fine flour mixed with oil. Then you are to take a second bull. Somebody say second bull. You are to take a second bull for a sin offering. Bring the Levites to the front of the tent of meeting. Assemble the whole Israelite community. It's an interesting thing that priests were ordained with two offerings. One offering for sin and the other a grain offering basically for fellowship. Our lives are defined by something. In Romans 8.3 we find out that Jesus Christ became an atoning sacrifice for our sins. It's stated in these words, For what the law was powerless to do and that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so He might condemn sin in sinful man. One bull took care of the priest's sin. What does the other sacrifice represent then? In Philippians 2.17, we find a kind of sacrifice that we become. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. Well, it's true that Paul was a drink offering, but what was the drink offering poured upon? The sacrifice coming from their faith. Their sacrifice was a sacrificial service. It was doing what God said when He said to do it. The way that Matthew 16, 24 says it is, If any man would come after me, he must first deny himself, then take up his cross and follow me. Every day in the life of a Christian revisits the crucifixion. Revisits the crucifixion when you find out your friend is moving and you would rather stay home than go help. But you know Jesus would go help. So you crucify your desire and you go to help. How many people in this church has Michael Hutchinson helped move? That is a sacrifice coming from his faith. Because Jesus Christ set him right. He wants to set the world right. He can't help it. This is a mark of a priest. It's a mark of a son of God. 
Two sacrifices defined them. The one that set them right and the one that came from their service trying to set the whole world right. Today, Christianity is often defined by a non-sacrificial lifestyle. Bless me, Lord. Bless me, Lord, is all I ever hear. Keith Green wrote that in the late 70s. How much more true is it today? Our heart's desire, our beating desire has got to be that we are poured out in the service of the saints. Our heart's desire has got to be to expend ourselves for the glory of God. And instead, what we hear over and over and over is, bless me, Lord, bless me, Lord, bless me, Lord. And we forget that the only reason any man of God was ever blessed was to be a blessing to the world. It was never about accumulation. It was always about distribution. It was never about consuming. It was always about contributing. Michael has learned a lifestyle of distributing, a lifestyle of contributing. One of the great pains that we have when we send someone, I've learned in the last few years in 2013, this ministry gave $100,000 to foreign missions. Look around you. I mean, we're a, except for Miss Natalie, who's beautiful, we're a scraggly bunch of people. But you find out with the obedience and the power of the Spirit, God can do anything. So in 2014, we gave more away. 2015, we have to give something away that's much harder. Our friends. Oh, my goodness. But in a world where people are crying out for more money, you know what I want? More sold-out saints. And we could send the arising church money, but we could never send them anything as valuable as the Hutchinson family. When you have the... When you have the presence of the living God and a heart that wants to be obedient, all things become possible. When you have the kind of faith that doesn't sit back and say, I'm open to it, it kicks open the door and says, Lord, did you want me to go through it? When you have that kind of heart, all things become possible. Moving on from the two offerings, an extremely important point. Look at verse 10. You are to bring the Levites before the Lord. And the Israelites are to lay their hands on them. Who lays their hands on the Levites? The Israelites do. In ordination, almost exclusively, pastors lay their hands on other pastors. Elders lay their hands on uh, pastors. But it's the Israelites. It's the people who see the ordination. In verse 11, Aaron is to present the Levites before the Lord as a wave offering from the Israelites. Catch this. Aaron is to present the Levites before whom? As a wave offering from the Israelites. I want you to hear something. The fivefold ministry is put here for your benefit. The fivefold ministry is put here to prepare you for works of service. Not to sit on your salvation. Not to sit and say yes and uh uh-huh at key points and messages. Not to be silent and throw change in a plate. The fivefold ministry is put here to prepare you for what God called you to do. But it is your great honor. It is your great privilege to be able to present men to the Lord for His service. It is a gift from the Israelites back to God to ordain men that will work in His service because they helped to pay for it. 
Man, we pastors are a guilty bunch. We often act as if we're God's gift to you. The truth is, we're a gift from you to the Father. And then our great joy is to turn around and present you back to the Father. You hear Paul speak like this. Paul speaking very well aware of the shadow and type at play in 2 Corinthians 11.2. Listen to how he says this. I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. Well, who presented Paul as an apostle? We say, well, Jesus Christ did. No, Jesus Christ appointed him as an apostle. But if the Corinthians didn't see him as their apostle, then who would he be an apostle to? So he says, you yourselves are a letter. You are my recommendation. He says, I may not be an apostle to some, but I I am to you. My field extended to you. In this way, the body of Christ recognizing the calling that is on Michael and Jennifer's lives is like us offering a gift back to the Lord. And I want to tell you why it's even more beautiful. I have seen churches very often that may ordain someone as long as that person stayed and worked within that sphere. It is our great joy to give a gift where we cannot receive anything in return. Oh, this is the heart of the gospel. I want to tell you the truth. It's difficult. There's blood in the offering, and that's what makes it precious to the living God. Oh, that we might not shy away from the difficult things. It's where all the real glory is. Do you have a heart that wants to go a respectable distance in the eyes of your peers? Or do you have a heart that wants to lay down your life as a sacrifice for the king? So many go a distance and and people say, wow, look what they've done. And then they stop. Do you have stop in you? Or do you have a let's get going in you? One of the things that this church has gleaned from the lives of the Hutchinson is the man never stops. I dug a septic system with Michael. Actually, unfortunately, we've dug several septic systems. But the one that I'm thinking about, by me saying I dug it, what I mean is I stood there and I talked to Michael while he dug a hole that was seven feet deep in the ground and six feet wide. His hands were bleeding. And he didn't stop shoveling. And we laughed and we talked about the glories of God and joked about this being the best day of our lives because we were standing knee deep in septic. You find out that if the Spirit of God is in a man and if his nature has been changed, it doesn't matter what we do, we do it for the glory of God. And it's always more fun to do it with our brothers and sisters. Amen? What we find in Numbers 8, is that the lamp of God has led the Hutchinsons and will lead us. Leads us to a baptism not only in water, but in spiritual power from on high. We find out that more than one offering is required. An offering has been given to put you in right standing with God, but your life is then to become an offering back to God. One of the ways we exemplify that is we invest in our brother's visions. We care for them and we offer them to God. That there could be more brotherly love in the church. Lastly, I would like to catch this verse. Verse 12. 
after the Levites lay their hands on the heads of the bulls, use the one for a sin offering to the Lord and the other for a burnt offering to make atonement for the Levites. Have the Levites stand in front of Aaron and his sons and then present them as a wave offering to the Lord. In this way, you are to set the Levites apart from the other Israelites and the Levites will be mine. Have you ever noticed that when Israel came out of Egypt, this was said about all of Israel? Israel will be mine. Israel is my firstborn. An exchange has to be made. We find a beautiful truth in the gospel here. It goes on in this way. After you have purified the Levites and presented them to me as a wave offering, they are to come and do their work. Come on, Michael, say do their work. At the tent of meeting, they are the Israelites who are to be given wholly to me. I have taken them as my own in the place of the firstborn, the first male offspring from every Israelite woman. When Israel was in Egypt, they were under the same death sentence that Egypt was. All mankind is guilty. All. None have done right. It's not about good Israel and bad Egypt. That's not what the story is about. It's about all men. And Egyptian said amen over there. It's about all mankind's guilt. And so the living God does something unique. He said, if you will put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, I will skip your house. He would do that whether you were Israelite or Egyptian. Isn't that interesting? He just told the Israelites. They are the carriers of the promise. What happened then is every single firstborn belonged to God. And they belonged to God because He spared their lives by the blood of the Lamb. Can you all say amen to that? Well, then comes the time to pay up. Then comes the time for every household to send their firstborn son to work in God's service. And God had a different plan. The Levites sided with God where the people of God sided with Aaron and Miriam. Only the Levites stood strong. So God took the Levites in the place of everyone's firstborn son. In fact, they count them and there's an exchange. There were more firstborn sons than there were Levites. So the Israelites had to pay the difference in silver because silver represents redemption. But think of what this means for those we ordain. They're not a hired minister. They're not somebody with an academic accreditation alone. They're supposed to be to you like your firstborn son. They're supposed to be familial. And because of that, when Paul is speaking to Timothy in 1 Timothy 5, 1 through 2, what we find out is that there's a unique relationship between those who are priests of God and the body of God. Do not rebuke an older man harshly, Paul said to Timothy, but exhort him as if he were your... Why? He's not your father. Oh, yes. When that father did not send his firstborn son, but instead you were appointed to minister like a Levite, you became to him like a son. Are you hearing me? Treat younger men as if they were your brothers, but they're not our brothers. No, no. 
when your older brother did not have to go work in the temple, when Jesus himself appointed someone like Michael, like Pastor Wade, like Pastor Matthew, then your brother didn't go. Because of that, you relate to these men as if they were your older brother. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers. Are you getting the point here? And younger women as sisters with absolute purity. How much nicer would the church world be if ministers were not simply hired hands? How much nicer would the church world be if ministers did not look at their sheep as financial opportunities, but instead viewed them exactly like they did mother and father and brother and sister? If instead of ecclesiastical community, what we had was actual family. How beautiful would this be? I believe that we can build it again. I believe there are many godly churches all over this nation and all over the world who are doing it. We have to speak to each other about it. We have to be willing to send our best to them as a sign that we care more about them than ourselves. After all, isn't that what's taught from a pulpit to the sheep? Well, then it's what a church should do for another church. We cannot have two different standards. Would you all prefer to keep Michael? I would prefer to keep Michael. And if I could let Michael go, I'd certainly prefer to keep his family. (laughs) But what happens when you recognize a call? That call is to our family. The fact that the ministers there also came from this body makes it that much sweeter. It's like visiting your grandkids. But if you had never met them, would it be any less precious to the King of Kings? So praise God, we're in a season where He lets us see the value of the harvest. We may get to do this in places where we never see the return. And there's more glory in that. Oh, amen. I'd like to say first that the Spirit of God will lead the Hutchinsons as He leads you. That a baptism in water for purity and spirit for power were necessary in their lives are necessary in our lives, and not just once, but over and over and over. The Apostle Peter was filled in Acts chapter 1, but he had been filled in John chapter 20 when Jesus breathed on him. He was not only told to wait in Acts 1 and filled in Acts 2, but in Acts 4 he was filled again. In fact, we see that we are continually immersed in God's power. Michael, I'd like to encourage you that what you have is amazing and what you will do tomorrow will require more. It's always that way. I've been looking for a place to coast. I've been looking for some slack in the line. It is not there. This is what keeps us dependent upon the living God. You can be sure that your next assignment will be harder than your last. And looking at what you've had to put up with thus far, I say brace yourself like a man. I have one more passage for you. Is that okay? Well, good. I'm glad that it meets your approval. (laughs) Turn with me to 1 Samuel. I hope you recognize sarcasm. Or at least cheekiness. You're surprised I know that word, aren't you, Christy? In 1 Samuel, the 6th chapter, I was praying this morning... And I've been preaching almost 22 years. I can preach something if I want to preach something. Having something to preach is not the problem. It's knowing what God once said on that day that is the problem. And actually, the more proficient you can become, 
with preaching, the harder that becomes. Because you can share things to get a response that maybe God was not interested in at all. And I'm not going to lie, we all do it. I mean, we shouldn't. Uh, We endeavor not to. And very often in the middle of our sermons, we realize we're doing it and have to stop. That's what what makes us um, still led by the Spirit and correctable. Well, this morning as I was praying, I got a scripture that I think defines the Hutchinsons. And it's going to be a little flawed. I'm just going to warn you. Are those pretty people? Those are pretty people. Mike's got a new hairstyle. Jennifer's been pretty since she got here. Dylan's handsome enough that girls came from a whole other state just to see him. I'm going to compare you to cows. Now, I'm looking for a little help here. The good news is they're holy cows. Somebody say holy cow. Now, to you, a cow might just be a beast of burden or a steak. But if you ever raise livestock, you love them. When they're sick, you'll stay outside at night with them. You'll, you'll put a heating lamp in the barn. You'll be there when their calves are... I mean, from the biblical standpoint, cows were precious. Maybe you should think like a car, okay? Because they're about as valuable as a car is in your life. So now that we're in 1 Samuel 6, let me go ahead and do the good preacher thing and set the background for you. The background is that the ark of God has fallen into enemy hands. And when the ark of God fell into enemy hands, they took it into the presence of their false god, Dagon. And when they took it into the presence of their false god, Dagon, Dagon fell on his face. There's a great message there. Oh, whatever your problems are, if you can drag them into the presence of God. Or carry the presence of God into your problem. However you want to see that. He'll break its head and hands off for you. The anointing breaks the yoke. We have no need of our own arm when God's arm is so much better. But that is not the message that we're preaching today. I was more concerned with the response of even the pagan world. The pagan world said, you know what? Wherever this ark shows up, he devastates us because we're not right with him. None of us can stand against the presence of God. Everywhere they put this ark, the ark laid waste to the people. So they were anxious to send the ark on. And they asked diviners, okay? How weird is that? They asked diviners how they should do it. And the best the diviners could come up with is say, we've been experiencing tumors and we've been experiencing uh, a rat population increase. Sounds something like the bubonic plague, except it came from God, right? And he said, so to acknowledge our guilt, let's send the ark back with gold tumors and gold rats. Not an elegant solution, I I grant it. But understand where their hearts were. We're guilty and we know it. This punishment that's come upon us is divine. That's the purpose for the gold. And they send it. Maybe they're trying to bribe God. I don't know. But in this passage, I saw something that's beautiful. So pick up with me in verse 7. Are you there? All right. Now then, get a new cart ready with two cows, sorry Hutchinsons, that have calved but have never been yoked. What an interesting statement. They've given birth, 
but they've never been yoked. Now, in a rabbi's life, a yoke was his manner of life. It's the way that he interpreted the Torah. It's the way, the Hebrew word for it is halakha, the way that he walked out his interpretation. And rabbis in Israel were famous for having different halakhas. Uh, for, for instance, Hillel uh, favored certain things that Shama did not favor. They're both reading the same Torah and coming to two different conclusions. They even fought about it. But when one died, the other said Israel's lost its greatest teacher. They maintained a level of dignity and respect for each other that we don't see in the church world. Uh, they could fight because they thought each other were destroying the Torah with their interpretation. But in the end, they were in the same family. And they knew it. And they supported each other. Having said that, in this case, when I was thinking about the calving and thinking about a never been yoked, would you say that the Hutchinsons have produced fruit while they're here? Yes. Yes. And yet they have never been ordained. They're not considered full-time ministry and they're already full-time ministers. So to me, these two beautiful cows that we're reading about are producing fruit, they're giving birth, they're, they're producing offspring, but they've never worn the work yoke yet. And that's about to change. You following me so far? Spencer, tell me you're following me. Or if Spencer's following, then I know the rest of you are. <laughs> it's not wise to pick on the biggest, strongest man in the room. But I've never been all that wise. Now then, get... Get a new cart ready with two cows that have calved and have never been yoked. Hitch the cows to the cart, but take their calves away and pin them up. Oh my goodness. How difficult is it, Hutchinson's, to leave behind what you've helped build? To hand prison ministry that is your passion in your heart to another and walk away from it as if you were never a part of it. But then you had a pretty good example in Zeke Lamb, didn't you? Something about the call of God always requires us to take on new yokes, always requires us to leave behind what would be our fruit, because it was never ours. It's the King of Kings. How many of you have a car you say the Lord gave you, have a house you say the Lord blessed you with? If He wants it now, would you hesitate? Oh, no, no. But he doesn't, does he? That is hesitation, isn't it? We're used to saying the right things and not doing them. Those who are going to be ordained actually in their actions set the example of what is required. These two have much fruit here. But just like these two cows, their calves are taken away. They're pinned up. It stays I built a church in Louisiana with good friends and walked away from it like it was never a part, like I didn't help build it. It's to the glory of God that you get to do that. It's to the glory of God that nobody gets credit for the work except the one who was working in you to do it. And now I'm watching Michael do the same thing. Take the ark of the Lord and put it on the cart and a chest beside it. I'm sorry. Take the ark of the Lord and put it on a cart and in a chest beside it, put the gold objects you are sending back to him as a guilt offering. Send it on its way, but keep watching it. If it goes up to its own territory towards Beth Shemesh, then the Lord has brought this great disaster on us. But if it does not, then we will know that it is not by the hand, not 
that it was not his hand that struck us and that it happened to us by chance. Verse 10 gets really good. Somebody say it's going to be good. good. That also gives me a chance to clear my throat. For about 10 weeks, I've been teaching somewhere every day for at least three hours, and it's apparently starting to take its toll. So they did this. They took two such cows and hitched them to the cart and pinned up their calves. What is an amazing thing... Thank you, Pastor Sutherland. What is an amazing thing is that the Hutchinsons hitched themselves to whatever God has said for them to do. When they came here, they didn't come here part ways. In fact, do you remember all the trips to sell that house? Oh man, we had to crawl under a a house in Louisiana with water sitting under it. Can I tell you, there's reptiles that are left over from the prehistoric era (laughs) under Mike's house. I can't even tell you what happened to us at a Wendy's. It is incredible. But once God said, they did. And they have been completely hitched. Getting hitched. Hitched the entire time. We're about to see them be hitched to a new calling. And I want to say that their past is an indicator of what their future will be. They don't vacillate. They don't stand and contemplate. They don't let complacency overrun them when they've heard from God. They do it no matter how hard. The men who have helped build this ministry have all sold houses, all sold cars, all left jobs. No sacrifice was too high. These are the kind that build ministries. Let's look at what's in the cart. They placed the ark of the Lord on the cart along with the chest containing the gold rats and the model of the tumors. While it may not be theologically perfect, let me say that what I saw in this this morning is there are two things that the Hutchinsons carry with them everywhere. It's a part of what they're yoked to, a part of what they're hitched to. They carry around a piercing word about the atonement. Have you noticed that Michael can make you feel uncomfortable? He's like, oh, and the world is captive to sin. How about you, sir? Are you captive to sin? You know, you're like, that's a good thing. Jesus was exactly the same way. You remember he asked, who do people say the Son of Man is? And then he turned and said, how about you? That is a good quality. It gets you in trouble when you're in school. And both Michael and I got in a lot of trouble in school. Probably him more than me, though. I don't know. I have, yeah. Well, anyway, glad my parents aren't here today. <laughs> the second thing that was in that cart is the presence of God. It would not be enough to convict the world of sin. That's not all the Holy Ghost does. He also pulls them out of that sin by the power of the blood of Jesus Christ and then empowers him with the Spirit of Christ. I'm happy to say that they don't go away with a half full cart. They're not just going to go preach salvation. They're going to go preach salvation and empowerment. They're not just going to go preach empowerment without atoning sacrifice. They've got a balanced cart. And I'm happy for that. I know that it will bear fruit. Both of these things have to be in the cart of a minister. Here's where the cows really show off, Michael. Holy cows. Then the cows went straight up. 
They didn't deliberate. They didn't form a committee. They didn't get out their checkbook and count their pennies to see if they could do it. They just went. Towards Beth Shemesh, keeping on the road and lowing all the way. They did not turn to the right or to the left. My favorite character trait in these two (coughs) is that they're stubborn. People might think that's a bad thing. I have found that what people call stubborn is often often just a Holy Ghost tenacity. (coughs) When God has sent you, you can't look at the flowers on the right and the left. You have to go and do. During times of extraordinary pressure, (coughs) during times of incredible adversity, when I was depressed, my friend encouraged me. At the bottom of a valley on the other side of the planet, when none of us thought we were going to make it out, my friend encouraged me. I want to encourage you, Hutchinsons, don't look to the left or the right. Certainly don't look at what you're leaving behind. Run headlong into what he's called you to. We are with you. You will not have to look to see if we're there. We're there. Now, the reason I understand that the cows were probably lowing the whole way is their calves were somewhere else. But that's not what I saw in it today. As we go, we make the proclamation. We're going to proclaim to everybody the good things the Lord has done for us and what He will do for them. As we go, Matthew 10, 9 says, Go, heal the sick, raise the dead, Cleanse the lepers and cast out demons. One more verse. You keep going. Apparently it's not Matthew 10, 9. Keep going. Oh, we passed it up. 10, 7. Try that. As you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. Freely you have received and freely you give. They will go and they'll low the whole way. What a beautiful thing. Now, often our churches are very guilty. We don't mean to be, but we we are. Uh, We pray for somebody and we say they're saved. When we're not certain God said it, we say they're saved because they went through our prayer. It's a little bit like, like the Catholic Church did. When they said, if you eat this cracker, you're saved. We need to look for the inward change before we say someone's saved. And it was never our job to declare them saved. The Spirit of God will declare them saved. His Spirit will bear witness with their spirit, Romans 8 says. But that argument aside, we often tell people about the good things that the Lord will do for them. Right? Come get saved. He'll wash away all your sins. Come get saved. He'll heal you. Come get saved. Like Pedro in Napoleon Dynamite, he'll make all your wildest dreams come true. And then, and then we're surprised. We're surprised that what we have are people that only want Jesus to do something for them. They've never considered that they must do something for Jesus. The thing that I love most about these cows is what happens to them when they do the work God called them to do. Because it's the other half of the gospel that we're supposed to preach and do not. Verse 13, 
Now the people of Bethshemash were harvesting their wheat in the valley. And when they looked up and saw the ark, they rejoiced at the sight. The cart came to the field of Joshua of Bethshemash, and there it stood beside a large rock. The people chopped up the wood of the cart and sacrificed the cows as a burnt offering to the Lord. I said, Pastor, I think you've lost your mind. Are you telling these people that they will be a sacrifice in Chicago? I'm telling you that the day that you decided to follow Jesus Christ, you lost your life. And that the problem with what we're calling living sacrifices is we squirm right off of the altar. I'm telling you that the anointed of God are yoked to the call. We don't turn to the left or right when it gets hard. You push on with tenacity. You persevere with the power that God has put inside of you. You labor with all of His energy which works so powerfully in you as the letter to the Colossians says. And there is one thing that waits for us and one thing only. 2 Corinthians 4, 10-12 says it. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. We preach the first sacrifice and we demonstrate the second. We who are alive are always being given over to what? We who are alive are always being given over to what? Oh church, you need to say it. We who are alive are always being given over to? Let somebody else preach about your best life now and every day is Friday. What I am preaching is that we are headed for a crucifixion. That you promised it on the day you started to follow Him. That every day you get a chance to die for Him. And one day, if God so shines upon you, you may actually get to give your life for Him. If that pleasure is denied you, then you will have lived your whole life long giving every day to Him. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that His life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Church, it may feel a little bit like you're dying when you watch their cars pull out. But your dying today will produce the saving of lives there tomorrow. And if somebody else had not died to get you the gospel, you would not have what you have. You might ought to consider that if you feel blessed. Your blessing came at the cost of lives. And now the only reasonable thing for you to do is offer your life that someone else might be blessed. Oh, that we could return to the purity of the gospel. One of the ways that we will do that is this ministry and the association called the One Association of Churches will only ordain men that are like this one. And when I say a man like this one, it's really a family that he leads. Because there's been as big a work in Jennifer during the years that she's been here as there has been Michael. No man is an island. She's the other half of his calling. And he knows what it is to give his life away. Oh, can y'all say amen to that? The Bible teaches us to honor men like this, to consider the outcome of their way of life. That's what the Bible teaches us. My last verse is a very personal one. It's very personal to Michael because I think he exemplifies it. After this, I'm going to invite some friends who are my elders in the Lord. And then I'm going to invite the prison ministry that Michael has helped to build 
a flock within the flock, our berserkers, our crazy Spartans. And we're going to lay our hands. If you have a word for Michael, anyone in this congregation, this is your ordination as much as it is his. But before you get to give yours, I get to give mine. That is pastoral prerogative. Joshua 1, starting in verse 6. You've heard this before, you know it. But it means more to me today than it did the last time I preached it. Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Say very courageous. In verse 6 he says, be courageous. In verse 7 he says, be very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. What would you say that Moses is pretty excited about? Being strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you. Wherever you go. Michael, could you and Jennifer come up here? The words be strong and courageous. Written in the Hebrew language are rock, kazak, amats. To be strong, to kazak. It doesn't just imply strength. It doesn't just imply strength like Samson had. Can you say Samson had a lot of strength? Kazakh says, I will have as much strength as it takes. I don't know how much I have, but I know how much I'm going to give. I'm going to give whatever it takes. Because Michael and Jennifer's strength does not depend on what they possess. It depends upon the one that they are possessed by. And he is unlimited. To say, be strong, rock Kazakh, means... To be strong in the Lord in His mighty power. Which of course Paul wrote to the Ephesians. To rock Kazakh Amats. Be strong and courageous. This is not just macho bravado. It's not just a John Wayne movie. Amats is the kind of courage that says, I know what the outcome is before I entered the contest. I will have whatever it takes to complete strong. And I know how this will end before it starts. Amats. Be strong and courageous. And I say be very strong and courageous. We know the power of the one that works in them. And so are you expecting good things from them? As am I. If at this time I could ask, Brother Steve, where are you at? Brother Charlie, Brother Bosch, Bob, Mr. Fred, would you come? Any of you that have, oh, Brother CJ, would you come? CJ is not just a brother in the Lord and not just a pastor. 
He is an elder in the church where he faithfully serves. We love him. We trust him. We respect him. At some point, he's been a shaping influence in most of the men's lives in this church. And if you don't know him well, before he leaves today, you should not only shake his hand, but hug his neck. And then hug his wife for letting him devote time to people outside of his congregation because he loves the Lord. Brothers, in any way that you would like, whatever you would like, this is your opportunity to speak to Michael and Jennifer and then to pray for them. Prison ministry, you're next. Pastors, you're next. And we're getting a mic now. We are not exactly a well-oiled machine. (laughs) Hallelujah. You know, when I first came here, Pastor Eric told me that this young man right here, he has a, a pastor's heart, a call to be a pastor. And I said to myself, what? You know, because he was rough. <laughs> so was his pastor. How, how, how rough was, would you say he was? Well, if he was a fireman's pole, I wouldn't want to slide down it. <laughs> but it didn't take long. To realize that God spoke to this young man. That God gave him some deep, deep revelations. I was so amazed. Problem was, he didn't know how to convey them to the rest of us. He had no problem getting But not only has God taken off all the rough edges, he polished this guy. He polished him into being a fine jewel. That he has set in a very special place. Amen. And he's polished him in such a way that his own image doesn't come through. But the image of Christ shines through this precious stone. So we come here today to send him off. In accordance to that place God's called him. Amen. Brother Michael and Jennifer. These are two special people. When Mike showed up, Charlie's right. He had a hard look in his eye and his jaw was set. He's looked at you. You knew this guy was pretty tough. What God has done is taken that strength and he's honed it and refined it. He's that rock that God chipped on. Man couldn't chip on Mike. Mike didn't want a man's hammer. He wanted God to shape him. And he's allowed God to shape him. We've seen this. We've watched him grow. We've watched him. He communicates things that just surprise me sometimes, the depth of his study. He's learned to, to dig deep, you know. And, and if you want to be a man of God and you want to get that word out there, you have to dig. And Mike has taught himself, and he's learned from his pastor. He's learned to dig. He finds nuggets, and he brings them to his brothers, and that's what good pastors do this this verse came to me about mike when david was running from saul this is very interesting david was running from saul and all these guys started showing up these mighty men of god started showing up now if you're in a battle and you have a king chasing you it's pretty good to have these mighty men show up so they all showed up at this cave david was at Offering their service. Well, Mike showed up at our cave. You know, we needed some mighty men. 
We needed some mighty men to show up. And God sent, Mike said, I'm going. Told his family, hey, we're moving. Going to Texas. So David is in Hebron. Hebron. He said in First Chronicles 13, no, 12, 23, these are the numbers of the men armed for battle who came to David at Hebron to turn Saul's kingdom over to him as the Lord had said. Armed for battle. These men came to fight. They didn't come to sit around. They came to fight. They were armed. Mike was armed. He just needed to know what kind of weaponry God wanted him to have. From Judah, carrying shield and spear, 6,800 armed for battle. Verse 32, from Issachar, the men who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. 200 chiefs with all their relatives <coughs> under their command. Now, that's a lot of relatives. Mike's not taking that many relatives up to Chicago. Jen, if he has to have 200, he got to get busy. I don't know. It's going to take, you know, take some work to get that many. But Mike understands the times, and that's why he's going there. And the people there know that. And that's why Mike's going. He understands the times. He's bringing the work that God has done in him to them, and they, they're looking for it. They're longing for it. They need it. Just like we needed him when he showed up here, they yeah. need him Amen. there. Amen. So we send him with a blessing and a loud hoorah. Because he is our brother, and he, ha- he is a hard-working brother. And he has been my brother through thick and thin, no matter what. And he'll be that brother to whoever he goes to. Amen. Mike and Jen, you guys are awesome. Um, When my wife and I first arrived here, uh, we weren't quite ready for the introduction to Mike. (laughs) This is a man on fire. And just to be around Mike, <laughs> you're in the presence of God's fire. Yeah. And, uh, and, and they, they take it very seriously. I wanted to uh, talk about what I've seen as their effect on people in this body. Yeah. I've seen Mike, disciple, and I've watched at a distance. He has changed lives. He has, he has done work in my son. I've seen him work Spencer. And what you produced in your own family, I see it daily in your son. And uh, that's something that you can be very, very proud of. Amen. So I want to tell both of you this fire that you have right now. Take it with you, man, and just let it burn even bigger and stronger. And oh, spread man. it and let everybody have it. I know that you're generous. I don't know that they're going to get it. But the fact of the matter is, they won't have a choice. <laughs> if you're there, they're going to be around it, and they won't have a choice. And that's what I really love about you guys. I'm going to miss you a lot. Amen. Everybody knows that Mike is a warrior. But Mike has a big heart. <clears throat> he has compassion for the lost. And it's that compassion that drives him. And it's the Holy Spirit that drives him. And I just want to say that I, I pray that he, the gifts of the Spirit, you know, are expressed in him and his family in a miraculous way. And he continues to walk in the, in the Spirit with that compassion that's in his heart. 
Amen. Mike, the first time I think I heard you preach was on a Wednesday night, and you were like a yo-yo. You went back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. But you know, I've watched you progress, and may the Lord be with you, because you are. Amen. 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 Come on, CJ. You have to forgive me. The... uh give a preacher a microphone it takes a little while but anyway but, you have all the time you want we oh, don't have a closing hey, oh buffet doesn't close till three we're all right so. yeah amen <laughs> the, uh, oh i've got to back up some and because of you know i know him from the jail ministry and so the uh, we have to be real careful when we recognize people you know you're going through walmart and you're going is that a cousin or is that somebody from jail because you never know and so uh, so you have to be careful and and he he has, he has experienced that uh so I'm sorry, but you've never been in jail. So I, have, I haven't been around you a whole lot. So, uh, the, uh, but when he first showed up, they said, well, got a guy come from Louisiana. I said, well, everybody came to Texas from someplace. We'll, we'll take him too. And, That's you know, right. We, we, we drew him for Virginia, and it turned out well. So, you know, we're going to send him back out. Uh, so, but I want to share something with you this morning. Uh, Jeremy, uh, those who were in jail this morning, uh, Cody was, was there and, uh, <clears throat> you know, said, who wants to go down the A-Row? A-Rows are isolation cells. We have 96 isolation cells. Man's, man and females, they're, they're separate. They're not together, but they're isolation cells. There's one person per cell. It's a solid door, and it's got a, got a glass window in it, and there's a door in front of that glass window. So when you go up to it, you have to unlock the, 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 the metal door, open it up to look through the glass that's bulletproof, Shatterproof, uh, footproof, headproof, because that's all they have in there to, to try to beat the door out with. And they're inside. And they have a toilet, a shower, and a stainless steel bed to lay on, and a little thin mattress. And that's what they have inside. And so when we go up there to meet those people, <coughs> they're in every various stage of, of uh, the, the psychotic episode you can think of. Either they're put in there because they were psychotic, or they're put in there because they're in a medical condition, or they're put in there because of a disciplinary action. Uh, they couldn't even live with other people in jail, so they had to isolate them inside the jail. And so this morning, I said, who wants to hit the arrow? Cody said, I'll go. And so with that being said, Jeremy, uh, one of our, our chaplains, he's been a chaplain now for about seven years out there. He said, and he said, you know, and he spoke, he's very soft-spoken, but he was very, he said, said uh, it's very important that you, that you wake those people up. A lot of times they come through with meds. They're on meds. They're on their own cycle in there. There's no sun. They don't, they don't know what if it's day or night. They're on their own cycle in there. So a lot of them on medicine. They take their medicine and they go to sleep. And Jeremy said, be very intent on waking them up. If you have to, kick the door to wake them up because they need to hear you. <laughs> and the reason he was so intent on telling you that is because nine years ago, he was in the A-Row. Wow. Nine years ago, he was in there. And we came by. And spoke to him, and spoke life into him. Amen. And he and he got out of there, <clears throat> did his his time uh, on the A row for having discipline problems within the jail. Went back to the B row, and I got to speak to him that first time he was out, wow. and uh, and preached on Jonah in the belly of the whale, <laughs> because that is the place where you are. If you're in the detention center, and God has slowed you down to see where you're going, and those are the lives that you've been pouring into. People who are at their lowest point of their life. And they don't know where they're going. And yet you have the opportunity to pour into them. And he was so intent on that because he was on the other side and he knew the need there.
And he says, we have to do that. Now, it, it's a success story. Uh, he got out. Charges were dropped by a miracle. Uh, it's been nine years ago. Uh, his wife just opened up a, a wonderful uh, seven-person or seven-chair uh, beauty salon with a barbershop in the back in Alvin. Uh, <clears throat> the, uh, he's driving a $300,000 haul truck, uh, getting 30% of the commission off of that in the oil field. It's a wonderful thing. He, he just transferred back and uh, so he can be there. He, he comes out on Saturday nights to preach. And the wonderful thing that I want to share with you is his wife, at the same time he was doing that, uh, his time there, she was down on the female side. And she had been uh, on, on the backside of some, some drug charges. Wow. And God has moved in their life. And the reason he has done it is because we have faithful men and women who come down to that jail. And what he, I was going to get about Jeremy is that he knows what it's like on the other side. And he says, people need you. Wherever you go, there's going to be a need for you, Amen. no matter what it is. Now, the scripture that I want to share with you, Second uh, uh, Kings, second chapter. Elijah, Elijah was fixing to be taken away. Yeah. And Elijah kept saying, what's it going to be? You know, when are you going to go? He said, I know when I'm going to go. It's not yet, not yet. And he said, Elijah said, Elijah, before I go, what is your desire? He says, to have a double portion. And that's my prayer for you today, is that God will give you a double portion Amen. of anything that you can even imagine. Have a double portion of the desire to go and help, the desire to go and spread the gospel, a double portion to spread the word of God wherever you go. Now, you're talking about the crazy cows. We work cows Saturday, or Friday. <laughs> Friday, we work cows. And I've still got a bruise on my left arm from that crazy cow because we separated from her calf. Oh. There's nothing in this world that want to separate you, uh, separate that, that cow from that calf. And the reason they, they were unyoked is because they'd never been trained. Yeah. And it was a wild cow that you took her animal away from, who took her calf away from her. And, and she, she's worse than any bull you'll ever come across. You get a wild cow that you took her calf away. Her desire is nothing but to be back with that thing. And so when they saw the hand of God move and the hand of God direct them going against every instinct in their body, the hand of God was leading them someplace and they didn't even look back. Amen. Now they cried a little bit and they bawled about it and they lowed. You know, the Bible says they were lowing. We call it bawling. They were just bawling up the, up the storm. And when we separate, when we sell calves, even our tame cows, we have to let them loose for three days. Wow. Because three days, it takes that long for them to lose that desire to find that calf. Uh, the last time we sold, uh, we sold calves about four months ago, the cow followed the, the cows followed the trailer all the way out to the, to the cattle garden. The, uh, there's nothing, no greater desire. So when you look back and you say, well, you know, we've we got some, some issues there. You can say, you know something, you're following your instinct. But the hand of God is going to direct you and guide you where you need to go. Oh, and it's not just you, it's your family. God is going to direct you. The hand of God is upon you. And God's going to do great and mighty wonderful things in your life. So much so, we have something we want to give to you. Lisa, my bride, would you bring that up here for us a little bit? <laughs> Amen. Well, the deal is, is they're leaving South Texas and headed to Chicago. And I know that that's north of Austin. And so uh, <laughs> the, uh, the problem with that is, you know, we're thinking, well, what could they use? You know, I said, well, should I give them a badge? Should I give them a, a, one of our, 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 our tie clips, uh, you know, with a badge on it? I said, no, what they really need, if you'd open that up for them. Brother, could you help her there? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is from the Sheriff's Department. And... Uh, the, uh, Come on. 
this is from Brazoria County. Uh, if you know some Texas history, Brazoria County is where Texas began. That's where the charter came from. The Masonic Oak, if you want to go from that, was brought from, from the charter from Louisiana, was brought to the Masonic Oak in Brazoria County wow. and underneath the, the Masonic Oak. Whatever you want to say, it started there. This is where the, where the first capital was in, in uh, Brazoria County. And we're proud that your ministry started in Brazoria Amen. County. It's a wonderful thing. All right, Mom, Dad, did you ever expect to see him on this side of the law? <laughs> Brothers, we're going to do several waves of this. But could y'all put your hands on them and bless them? And uh, prison ministry, you're next. Yes. flock within the larger flock and um, we we wanted to give those that have been working most closely with Michael a chance to speak for him pray to speak to him and pray for him hallelujah by the way while we're doing this if you came in here and you're not right with God don't let this be an excuse to wait it out before this service is over you can get right with God if you came in here and you're not baptized in the Holy Ghost, why would you leave the gas station without a full tank? So you bide your time, work up your courage, because we won't leave this service without speaking to you and giving you the opportunity to get everything that you need. If you came in here and you're sick, if you came in here and you need physical healing, we, you don't have to leave the same way. We will pray for you, and the King of Kings will heal you. I just didn't want you to to get lost in what's happening here. Uh, but to turn out men who preach that, we need to do this. Amen? So it's an amazing thing. Uh, July 2012, uh, the first time that I stumbled into this fellowship, uh, I went through the doors of uh, the Stevens house that month about two and a half years ago, and uh, I walked in, and Eric was uh, in a foreign country doing some mission work, and uh, he had asked Mike to preach, uh, to share something from the Word that night, and uh, guess what it was? Well, it was Joshua 1. Uh, it was Joshua 1, and that was the first word that I heard uh, from anybody from LCMF, uh, so that word agrees with my spirit. I have two scriptures. The first comes from Luke 5. Um, the title to this is The Calling of the First Disciples. I'm going to start just at verse 1. It says, One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, 
with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. I have to say that one of the things that I've, I've learned the most from the Hutchinsons and from Mike uh, is to always come, whatever situation it is, whatever uh, part of the day, whatever part of the week, whatever situation in life, to always come with an expectation. You always come into the, into the situation with an expectation uh, that God's going to move with an expectation for the supernatural. And this story is exactly what Mike did for me and what he's done for many people in this church. You see, Jesus got into the boat that belonged to Simon Peter. Mike, when I came here, stepped into my boat. And the first thing that he did is he taught. And he taught and he continually stepped into my boat and he taught me. But it didn't end there. You see, as the teaching mounted... And as knowledge and wisdom began to form, he went further. And he said, put out into deep water. Put yourself out into deep water. The Hutchinsons are a family of catalysts and a driving force in the kingdom. The number one thing, like I said, is to come with an expectation. That's what I've learned from them. But even more than that, They've driven me, they've driven my family, and many people here with teaching and to step out into the deep waters of faith, to step out into the deep waters of the kingdom. I have a word from Psalm 42. Hallelujah. Starting in verse 4. It says, These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go with the multitude, leading the procession to the house of God with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. I like to think that that's us here. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar, deep calls to deep, in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day the Lord directs His love. At night His song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I pray that wherever you find your soul, in the next coming weeks and months, wherever you find it, in, ever, in whatever condition you find it in, I would encourage you to put your hope in God. And in any situation, wherever you find yourself, that you will yet praise Him as your Savior and your God, and that you will forever cry out to the deep waters. Amen.
<laughs> Prison ministry, can y'all come gather around him as you begin to pray for him? If you had a word, it's okay to prophesy it. You're just not going to get a chance to teach it. <laughs> Hallelujah. Is it safe to say that the brothers affected a few lives among us? Y'all hug their necks and get out of here. <laughs> Brother Eric, you can stay. There's a, yeah. yeah, there's a reason. You, you hop in line behind Matthew. If one scoop of ice cream is good, two is better, and three is great, right? Well, we're not, we're not going to stop with the elders. We're not going to stop with the prison ministry team. Mike is now a pastoral peer of these men, and each of them have a, a brief word for him. Holding back the tears? You got it. You don't got to hold them back. <laughs> we know how tough you are. We can see how soft, too. You remember crying in India in that hotel room where the dog got run over? <laughs> I'll never forget that. Y'all, she's tough. That thing moaned all night with a demonic fervency. You know? 
Well, one word that I've heard so far that characterizes you guys and that absolutely agrees with me is the word faithful. Never backing up, never turning to side to left or right. And a scripture came to mind I want to share with you guys. A couple of them, but this is the first one. This is Psalm 18, verse 25. To the faithful, you show yourself faithful. First, I want to encourage you guys. A trait that has been a part of your walk with Jesus is faithfulness. Amen. And the Lord will reward that faithfulness definitely in, in the eternity to come, but also in what's happening now. What you're stepping into, as preached earlier by Pastor Eric, is a yoke and it's a weight. You will find yourself pressed. You will find yourself more discouraged and feeling more incompetent than ever before. <laughs> I promise you. But what I can also promise you is that God will meet you in that very spot. Because all he asks you to do is just be faithful. And the meaning and the purpose of everything, of why you're in that one spot, will become clear because he will show himself faithful to oh, you. Man. Next one is Exodus chapter 19. Let's start in verse 5. Let me turn to it real quick. Now, this is one that many of you guys may remember from marriage counseling. But in light of you guys being an offering to the Lord from us to Him, this is another one that captured who you guys are to me. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Amen. You guys are our treasured possession. Amen. A sacrifice is not worth giving if it's lame or has a defect. And the Lord has made you guys a treasured possession to us. Amen. Amen. Now, the way I first met this treasured possession was a little different than most of you guys have met them. And particularly it was Mike. And going back to the word faithful can also be committed. Uh, Mike was fully committed at a men's retreat in Louisiana to hopping around on all four dressed in a gorilla suit. That's the truth. That is the truth. I and, forgot uh, that. At first I thought it was a real gorilla. Mike's kind of built that way. And so uh, I started to spray him with a water hose just to see what would happen. So <laughs> it kicked off with, uh, with quite a laugh. But over the years, brother, you have been faithful whatever God has put before you. And not waiting to be the most competent, not waiting to be the most talented before you actually attempted. The one thing that also accompanies you is you're quick to act. So when it was time... For someone to play the djembe on the worship team, you jump right up. You did it. Time for somebody to play the bass, you jumped up and did it. And everything that you put your hands to, you've been fully committed to and faithful. Another aspect that we're very endeared to is your faithfulness to have the most elaborate and wonderful sermon props I've ever seen in my life. We're sending that giant menorah thing with you. It's, it's right back in that closet. We were going to pull it out and, uh, and make a candelabra and... Uh, Praise God. Thank you so much, CJ, for giving a, a parting gift for him. Uh, but I think 
what we really want to do is give you a pair of skinny jeans <laughs> to bring with you to Chicago. <laughs> See how committed you can get in the, to those things. So when it comes to, to you know, a 15-foot tall menorah or a, a pimp suit or AR-15 that you, you wave at the crowd, it's unloaded. Or a 150-pound heavy bag hanging in your church. That's exactly right. Uh, in fact, with Zeke being here, you know, watching him shadow box for Khan, he was the sermon pop. Awesome. Yeah. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. That's Mike it. With an yeah. AR a standing AR at our pulpit. Nice. I guess we better listen to it. All those trips to Mexico just warped us a little bit. I want to give you this charge from me, just me personally to you guys. And it's 1 Corinthians 4 2. It's to him who's been given a trust must prove faithful. In one regard, you guys have proven faithful in what God has entrusted to you. But I want to say an echo, really. God's going to ask more. He's going to ask more sacrifice, more hurt, more pain, and the residual <coughs> is more glory. Amen. The more that that olive is pressed... The further that Jesus went towards the actual cross, it brought him that much closer to the point of resurrection. Amen. And I thank you guys, and I love y'all. Thank you for being faithful. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Brother Michael, I remember something that was spoken over me when I was a young teenager, sleeping on my best friend's floor because I was kicked out of my house. This word kind of helped me get in gear and it changed me. But I heard a man say that when the going gets tough, the tough get going. And that exemplifies Michael Hutchinson. Not just that he's strong physically, because we know that he is, but he's strong spiritually. And I prayed this week that God would give me a word for you. And I believe this is what the Lord was telling me. The south side of Chicago has been under a bondage, <coughs> a spiritual darkness. And the Lord has appointed you and anointed you. And he's setting you out from this headquarters to pierce that darkness. And the going might get tough, but you're going to get going. Because the spirit of the living God is upon you to preach good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, and to set at liberty those that are held captive. It's been a pleasure serving God with you, and I will continue to serve God with you. And uh, I appreciate your encouragement and all the things that you poured into my life just hanging around you in the prisons and everywhere else. We love you guys. Amen. Amen. It's hard for me not to think of Michael and Jennifer and not think of Matthew 11 where he's, what you expect to see, a reed shaking in the wind? Not at all. He's steady. Probably the greatest example in my life thus far of what it means to be steady. I mean, this guy doesn't move. And Eric was talking about moves. Mike bought a plane ticket and flew to my city <coughs> to help me move. Not because I needed help lifting anything. I wasn't bringing much. But he knew, he knew the weight of that. 
He knew what it would be like for me to drive 1,500 miles by myself. And so he said, no, he was going to be there with me. He's steady. Brother, you're the steadiest man I've ever met. Bullheaded, go right through a brick wall, and that's what it would take. Where you're going needs that. It needs it bad. And I got a, um, a bit of a word from Second Chronicles that I'm just going to um, read to you guys as a charge. See, a lot of people know how to praise the Lord. A lot of people know how to dance and sing and shout because we've been set free. And then there's those ones that know how to praise Him right in the face of the enemy. Yeah. The battle's hot and you know how to say, thank, thank you, God. And it looks like He's almost getting ready to get you. And you know how to say, thank you, God. And it's this, it's this man that I was reading about in, in Chronicles named Jehaziel. See, Jehoshaphat sent the praisers first. And that's why they had victory. But there was a man named Jehaziel who spoke up in the midst of all the confusion, in the midst of all the chaos, as all these cities are coming to make war against his kingdom. And they're afraid. And listen to this guy, Michael. And you and Jennifer, this is y'all. Y'all know how to praise him when few know how to praise him. Says, then in the midst of the assembly, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Madaniah, the Levite, and the sons of Asaph. And he said, listen, all of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not fear or be dismayed because of this great multitude for the battle's not yours, but God's. This man's stepping up and saying this to a nation and a king. Told the king to listen up as well. And tomorrow, go ahead, go against them. Behold, they'll come up by the ascent of Ziz. And you'll find them at the end of the valley in the front of the wilderness of uh, Jeruel. And you don't have to fight. Station yourselves and stand and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. And Judah and Jerusalem, don't fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out and face them because God's with you. And you know what? They listen. Jehoshaphat listened. And if I could, if I, when I think of you, brother, the word ambush absolutely comes to mind. <laughs> Mike, you know how to bring it. And that's what that city needs. It needs your steadiness. And it needs your ability to praise when nobody else knows how to praise. You praise. Just stick with that. But listen what happens. They rose early in the morning. They went to the wilderness of Tekoa. And they said, and they went out. And Josephat says, listen to me, O Judah, inhabitants of Jerusalem. Put your trust in the Lord your God, and you will be established. And when he had consulted with the people, they appointed those who sang and praised. And they sent them in first. And give thanks to the Lord for His loving kindness endures forever. And when they began singing and praising, the Lord sent the ambush. You know how to bring revival, Mike, because you know how to praise. When few know how to praise. Stick with it, brother. I love y'all. Amen. 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 This is such a great day, really, because uh, we get to all acknowledge what God has long since been at work at in your lives. Uh, we're not confirming anything on you other than we're acknowledging and recognizing the value that you guys have. Um, I didn't plan on saying this part, but 
I think there's a lot of times in your life where people have missed the value that you guys actually bring. Yeah. And this is God's um, confirmation that you are worth so much. And we all value you and our hearts are excited and broken all at the same time because of the value that you guys possess. And I just want to encourage you not to ever forget that. I encourage you to go back and listen to the tape. I know you're sitting there and you're trying to take it all in. Watch it again. Just settle down, take out your notebook, and let it be as God's words are speaking to you. Let it be his love letter to you through all the people here who love you. Um, two quick scriptures. Um, one out of Ezekiel chapter 34. Oh, amen. You're a shepherd. Um, there are many who do not shepherd properly. They want the title. They want the food and the provision that comes from it. Yes. But these are actually the sovereign Lord's words about what kind of shepherd he is. So my charge to you is this is your standard. This is what we try to do as pastors every day, day in and day out. For this is what the Sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel and in the ravines and in all the settlements in the land. I will tend them in a good pasture, and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There they will lie down in good grazing land, um, and there they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. But the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. I love how over and over, I will rescue, I will bring, I will bring, I will pasture, I will tend. What an important charge for us. And then along with the charge, I wanted to give you a passage of blessing. Amen. Out of Second Samuel, chapter 22. Lord has re rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanness in his sight. To the faithful... Pastor Matthew read this as out of Psalms. To the faithful, you show yourself faithful. To the blameless, you show yourself blameless. To the pure, you show yourself pure. But to the crooked, you show yourself shrewd. You save the humble, but your eyes are on the haughty to bring them down low. You are my lamp, O Lord. The Lord turns my darkness into light. With your help, I can advance against a troop. With my God, I can scale a wall. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord, the Debar Yahweh, is flawless. He is a shield for all who take refuge in him. For who is God besides the Lord and who is the rock except our God? It is God who arms you with strength and makes your way perfect. Amen. He makes your feet like the feet of deer. He enables you to stand on the heights. He trains your hands for battle. Your arms can bend a bow of bronze. He will give you a shield of victory. He will stoop down to make you great. He will broaden the path beneath, beneath you so that your ankles do not turn. Amen. I just want to encourage you guys. Uh, clearly the Lord is with you. It is our honor to have served with you and get to seeing this. We knew you guys a little bit in Louisiana, and then there was a long gap before. And our coming back and in, in seeing you guys was, was like the blossoming of a flower. Amen. Beautiful to start with. 
and absolutely radiant at this point. So we love you guys and we honor you. Amen. So, Michael, that's a letter from me to you guys. Before I give it to you. I want to read a quote at the end. The rest of the letter, that's between you and me. But I want, I want them to hear this. Real Christians revel in desperate ventures for Christ, expecting from God great things and attempting the same with exhilaration. History cannot match deeds of men like these. How was it done? They consulted not with flesh and blood. They obeyed not men, but they obeyed God. Amen. A guy named Stud wrote that, and I thought that was fitting for you. <laughs> Michael loves his Bible almost as much as I love mine. Michael, somewhere in your zitzit, I thought you might want a menorah from Israel on a coin. And a reminder of the covenant cup. So my pastor gave me that in uh, 1997. And I want you to have it. Jennifer, a menorah represents your call to the world. You're going to be strong like steel. This is your outdoor menorah. You won't melt in the rain. People are going to see you as an immovable rock. Because that's what you are. But to the family of God, I've got an indoor menorah for you. Made of soft olive wood. Because all anybody else is going to see is an anointing. I'm so proud of you too. I want you to put one on the outside of your house. And when you walk out, you remember, I've got Holy Ghost steel running through my veins. And one on the inside of your house that remembers, this is the one place, the sanctuary, that I can be soft and vulnerable for my family and for the family of God. Father, thank you for my friends. Lord, we did not ordain them. You did. And we recognize that ordination. Lord, we see that you have set them apart for your work. And we say they are well trained. Lord, they have spent their time well. Lord, would you make your face shine upon them. Lord God, would you let them carry your name. In the name of Jesus, mark them with the supernatural. Lord God, may they experience an increase upon increase upon increase. Lord, we thank you. We thank you. We have a certificate of ordination that the elders are presenting you with. This is not just from this church body. The pastors in D.C., the pastors in Chicago, the pastors in Louisiana and the pastors and elders here. We recognize the call. I'd like to share one final short story. I knew Michael from a men's retreat where he wore an ape suit, that's true. But where I fell in love with his character, the same place most of us did, the mission field. He and I have been in the valley together, literally, on mountain peaks with no oxygen, literally. And at gunpoint, literally. My favorite mission story with Michael is the least sensational, though. We built a roof 
on a soup kitchen in Matamoros, Mexico. None of us were carpenters. None of us were contractors. But those guys didn't show up. Such an interesting calling. We may never have been God's first choice, he and I. But we're going to do a first-class job. Amen. And the only way we could do this, and this roof was 40 by 26, I think, six-inch pour, was with five-gallon buckets. I could get the buckets to about here, and I couldn't take them any higher. So my brother stood on a platform here, and he took them from me the rest of the way. I want to tell you this is what ministry is supposed to be like. When you can only get the burden so high, God will appoint a brother that will take it higher. I'm looking forward to the higher things in your life. In the name of Jesus Christ, with the authority that he's invested in the congregation of the saints, by the power of his rock, HaKodesh, we say we as a community recognize God's ordination in your life. And we loose you with the blessings of God to wreak havoc upon the devil and his work. We say kick it down, step on it, grind it, and liberate those he has ensnared. In the name of Jesus, amen and amen. Amen.